Uh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jack Farmer, and this is the Evolution of Movies show, and I am not alone. I am joined by the Jules Winfield and Vincent Vega to my The Wolf. Let's hear it for James Shippey and Andy Rossi, fellas. How you doing, James? How's your uh, day treating you so far? You know, so far, so good, man. I'm upright. That's half the battle. <laughs> Right. That is half the battle, as Vincent Vega will eventually find out. Uh, spoiler alert, by the way. Uh, and uh, Andy Rossi, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Feeling good. Loving my intro. Thank you. Thanks, yeah. Jack. Ready to ready to chat some movies. Of course. All right. Well, let's talk about how the show works. We watch movies and then we chat about them book club style, but we call it the evolution of movies because we always pick a movie that came out one year after the last movie we watched. So we started in 1990, then 1991, 92, and now 1994. That means next week we go to 1995, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's talk about the here and now 1994. Let me take you back to when theaters were showing movies like Shawshank Redemption, Forrest Gump, and the critically acclaimed Street Fighter. But we aren't watching any of those. We're watching what Empire said was brilliantly written and unfathomably cool Pulp Fiction, a movie where the lives of two mob hitmen, a boxer, a gangster and his wife, and a pair of diner bandits intertwine in four tales of violence and redemption. Andy, this movie is one of your favorites, but what were you thinking going into watching it this time specifically for this show? I was, I was, you know, I'm very familiar with the movie, so I was very interested in trying to dig deeper in the film and see if I could find things that I never saw before. Get more, uh, get more Pulp Fiction trivia in me, I guess. Um, but man, what a, just, just a brilliant movie. Just so well written. I think I, I listen to the dialogue a lot more than usual. And I'm just like, Tarantino, man, you were, you were killing it. I think he was living in Amsterdam at the time writing this. Just the dialogue's just amazing in this, in this movie. That would make sense since there are so many Amsterdam references. Yeah. Uh, James, this is probably, I, I forgot how iconic this movie is as far as how many iconic scenes happen in it. Uh, I'm sure you've seen this movie before, but what were your thoughts going into it this time around? You know, I, I couldn't help but go to um, like my personal history of this movie. Um, you know, why uh, when I first saw this, I saw it at, in on the East Coast at my stepfather's family's house on bootleg, you know, <laughs> I remember it was a bootleg tape. Uh, it was during the holidays and everyone had went to the, you know, the shopping mall and I was chilling at the house. I think it was in the basement, whatever. I was just hanging out and they had Pulp Fiction. So I was like, you know, let me pop this in. I keep hearing about this movie. And I just remember being blown away, uh, mainly by the unconvention of the movie. Cause as most people, I think this may have been one of the first movies where you see a movie that's not told in chronological order. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's what really kind of stuck out. I had never seen anything like that before. And then obviously we'll talk about it, but, uh, Jules, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, soon as he comes on the screen and I, I'm sure that, um, Tarantino knew this, but especially when they're in that, that apartment, 
he's popping off the screen. Yeah. Every scene he in, he's in, he steals. I mean, everyone's great in this film, but you know, it's what a master perfor uh, performance by him and pretty much everybody. And, and I that's think, just what sticks out to me. Yeah. Sorry, James. I wanted yeah. to jump in on something you said. Like uh, for me too, I think the first time I ever saw this, I don't remember exactly where I was, uh, but just like, the music, even the the font of like the opening credits, the style of it, like the beginning that it starts with. And like you said, it's in non-chronological order. There's like title cards. It was just like, I'm like, what is this? It was just like such a different way of making films. And I think, you know, I was pretty young when this came out. And it was just like, <laughs> I was just blown away. Like, uh, what is happening? You know, it's so different. So. It's really cool. It's kind of like the start of the Tarantino-isms, you know, because Reservoir Dogs, I don't think was quite quite like this. But after this movie, I feel like he just kind of stayed in his Tarantino way. And it was, you know, every time for me, at least I like welcome it. I'm like, oh, here we go again. You know, weird yeah. credits and music and, <laughs> you know, it's all very cool. Yeah, yeah. this I was I realized like when I was younger and I first saw this movie, I was not nearly cool enough to fully grasp how cool <laughs> this movie was. Uh, I knew it was cool. I don't think I truly grasped what I was watching. I just knew it was very cool. And uh, I don't know if I fully understood it. Uh, but now that I've seen it a few times and I've seen it as I'm older, I totally get it. And it's also it not only is it cool, but it's like a love letter to older movies in a lot of ways to a different genre. Uh, I realized that this movie is basically a slick criminal retro cool episode of Seinfeld because it's basically just them having random conversations about nothing, but in a slick criminal retro cool kind of way. That's well done, Jack. Uh, nice. nice. And so, uh, but also the whole, the, the idea that it's not in chronological order uh, was a really big deal at the time when this movie came out. And it was a big talking point about the movie. But after watching it a couple times, I don't know if it's because it's a couple times or maybe it's just, I understand better. It's not really that hard to follow. It's really just no. like the story starts essentially in the middle and then it loops back around and comes to the, you know, it's like middle to the end and then end to the middle instead of middle to or beginning to end. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely noticed that this time around too. I think when I first watched it, like when I, like when I, we were talking about, we were all pretty young. I don't think I really follow the storyline. Like I was kind of like, what is happening? So yeah, but I think maybe because other directors have done this now where you're going from all over the place, it's kind of like, you're like, oh yeah, I get it. I kind of, it's not quite like Christopher Nolan inception where you're like, I don't know. Am, am I really here watching this? You know? <laughs> Right. Yeah. After Inception, having trouble <laughs> understanding anything else seems a little silly. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, you must not have seen Tenet. Ten I haven't seen Tenet. <laughs> okay. Yet. Hold uh, my beer. <laughs> I am. I'm too scared. Everyone says yeah. it's so hard to understand. Yeah. Just wait, my friend. Give that one a go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we might get to that one as yeah, we that's get, true. get right. to the modern movies. But uh, as we get to the modern movies, I just want to take a moment and thank everyone who's watched this show or supported this show by liking it, commenting it, subscribing. Anyone who's doing that now, if you could do us a favor, whether you're on YouTube or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, leave a comment, leave a like. All those things are super helpful to us in uh, growing the show. Guys, are you ready to just talk about this movie? Shoot the score. Let's do it. Let's so do it. 
this this movie's all about criminals. We start with a definition of what pulp is, and I'm glad I'm not the only one who needed to know. But we then get to where we see Pumpkin and Honey Bunny enjoying a meal and smoking while talking about robbing banks. Now, Pumpkin's not that ambitious, so they decide to rob the diner instead. They stand out of their seats, and the first of many quotables is yelled while badass Thunder Rock starts us on the disjointed journey known as Pulp Fiction. Jules and Vincent are driving around while Vincent educates an entire generation on what Amsterdam is and that fast food items have different names where they speak different languages. Jules, on the other hand, educates Vincent on Mia Wallace, who is their boss's wife, and that she is the reason a dude was thrown out of a fourth-story window. Why does Vincent ask? He's taking her out. But hey, there's no time for that. They go over to the guy from Mad TV's apartment, and the guy from Swim With Sharks is enjoying a burger for breakfast, which seems a little heavy to me. But after Jules <laughs> preaches the good word to the boys and shoots them all to death, the two henchmen have their briefcase that they came for, which is obviously filled with, you know. In any case, James, the scene is set as we see two levels of criminals here. A couple robbing a diner and two mob guys uh, working for their boss. Tell us about how you feel about where this movie is sort of setting us and what it's preparing us for. Yeah, good question. I mean, I mean, one thing people will mostly point out to is the dialogue in the film. Um, and I think just on a very basic level, if you don't know much about film, the dialogue is really what may stick out. You know, this is a movie really about criminals and like low level criminals, if you want to get specific, right? And like mm -hmm. the criminal other underbelly of, of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, and you see this couple you know, they're cute, meet cute, but they're also kind of visceral. I wouldn't consider them like very philosophical in a sense, but just kind of just going off of a whim. And then when we go to Jules, which I love the diegetic nature of this film uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to diegetic music, because at one point when that music kicks in, as you say, the thunder rock or whatever, and at one point you can hear like a radio turning and then we hear some cool in the gang, right? I think mm -hmm. it was Jungle Boogie. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm here for this, right? And obviously the thing with, that makes Jules and Vincent so fascinating is they have these kind of philosophical, nonsensical uh, conversations, whether it's the, the Royale with the cheese or speaking at length five minutes about Mia Wallace's feet. You know, yes. there's a feet reference, you know, <laughs> there's obviously. A lot of there's a lot of feet stuff going on. Of <laughs> course, exactly. And kind know. of at one point, it's 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 almost like a tennis match. They're both making their points and really kind of one-upping each other. And I love how Vincent Vega at one point said, well, would, would you massage a man's foot? Or would you let a man massage your foot? At, at that point, uh, Jules have been arguing like, oh, it's no big deal that, you know, <laughs> Wallace, I mean, it's no big deal to uh, massage someone's foot. It's unheard of for him, to, a guy, to get thrown off of a roof for massaging Marcellus's, uh, Mia's foot. Uh, but then when he said that, I was like, well, that is a good point. And he couldn't yeah. argue anymore. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> I like well, how Vincent I, rubs it in, too. He's like, you know, my feet kind of hurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I, I think, and I had said before, um, and this is all about, you know, film shots as a director. You, of course, you'll know this, Andy. There was certain camera movements and shots, especially when Sam Jackson does like a twist and turn. And he starts speaking that um, uh, he's, 
Yeah, Ezekiel. I can't remember the the it was a 17, 25. 25-17. Okay, there you go. 25-17. And it's so iconic. It never gets like it kind of gives you goosebumps to see that scene. It's so iconic when he goes into that that Bible verse before he's about to kill someone, you know, and it's ominous and it's fascinating. But I, it's just such a fascinating movie. It has you kind of eaten out of his hands because it's so random, but so like specific and also yeah. just very simple the way it's um, shot. And, you know, there's a lot of simplicity to the scenes. It's not really rocket science. And I love on. I love I love kind of what you're saying too, James. Like I, I I didn't really pay attention too much before when I've watched this with their dialogue that you're talking about right now. Um, but he says something like uh Travolta's character says something like, Oh, oh, he's like a fat guy. And Jules says, like, well, he's Samoan. So, you know, he's not <laughs> fat, he's a Samoan. Right. Um, yeah. And yeah, I don't remember all the foot stuff, but now it makes sense. I feel like Tarantino does a lot of foot stuff. So that was kind of I, I didn't remember like that kind of back and forth dialogue. But I think it's great because you show these two guys that like talking about the Royale with cheese. I just love, love the dialogue and all that when they're driving and when they get to the apartment and they're kind of waiting in the hallway. But then just to have that and just really turn it up with with uh, Jules, like those lines are so iconic and and yeah it's it's crazy but i i know this movie very well and i still like startled when he said oh i'm sorry did i break your concentration i seriously yeah. like jumped i'm like oh my god i'm like i've seen this it's so scary he's so scary during that even when he's eating the big kahuna burger you're just like there's so much going? tension in that yeah. scene may i have a bite of your tasty burger that's, yeah, a, that's good a, tasty burger. Burger. Yeah, a tasty burger. Do they speak <laughs> English where you come from? <laughs> uh, and, and then the guy. What? 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 Say what again? You know, <laughs> poor Brett. That had oh, to be man. that had to be scary to be that actor, though. You're opposite Samuel L. just going off and you just got to say what again? And what's what? funny, though, is that was before Samuel Jackson had really made it. Like that was, this was his star making yeah. performance. Mm -hmm. And so Andy, to your point, he was probably just like, OK, I'm going to shoot this scene. And then he didn't realize the bull in the china shop was coming in <laughs> to just wreck him in this scene. Because, uh, yeah, this scene, I think, is really what made Samuel Jackson going forward in a lot of ways is this this is what we get from Samuel Jackson from now on, really in a lot of ways in a lot of his movies. But yeah, what I liked about this opening scene and, and both these opening scenes is you don't really see the, the henchmen have characters in a lot of movies, at least before this, where this was showing that they're real people. They didn't, they weren't talking about robbing, you know, like uh, Jules and Vincent weren't talking about robbing people or committing crimes. They were talking about, having to go do tasks for their boss or you know what it was like traveling to Amsterdam and things like that like they're in a lot of ways normal people when they're not working much like all of us are and you didn't see that a lot of times in movies like this in crime movies usually the henchmen were just sort of one-dimensional henchmen characters yeah yeah it was yeah. great because they didn't talk about like you said Jack like you're so used to like oh it's henchmen they're going to talk about the henching the henching? Yeah. The henching the that henching. they're doing? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they actually had a lot to say and a lot of dialogue that wasn't even related to anything, you know, criminal. So it was, it was cool. It was, I mean, exactly. very cool. And the thing I did notice is as nonsensical as a lot of conversations can be, they do pay off later 
And I noticed that mm -hmm. more so. So this whole thing with the feet and Mia Wallace, you know, kind of becomes it's not a huge payoff later, but it becomes a, a point of dialogue. And I guess when, it, when Vincent takes Mia out for dinner that night, mm -hmm. you know, and, and kind of like what we're thinking in the back of our head. He's speaking for us. So we'll, we'll get to that. So there's yeah. ways that he's paying it off sometimes, even if it's very subtle. Uh, and I yeah. think it's very clear, especially when we get to Gold Watch, how, you know, the walk-in scene pays off much later. <laughs> but I know that's down the line. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is great, though. Like, it's like that yeah. setup where you're like, huh, interesting. And then, yeah, it usually, as far as I can think of, like, it all pretty much gets paid off at some point, yeah. like with most of the dialogue, if you were kind of wondering, like, why are they talking about that? Which is well, why he won the Oscar for best screenplay. So, well, you know, speaking of all that, let's continue on. Let's get to Vincent Vega and Mia Wallace. We continue on as we see Butch getting talked to by Fool's sister's boyfriend <laughs> who escaped the landlord's mansion intact because, hey, just because you're shot gutted and dumped into water doesn't mean a man is dead. It's a connected universe, I'm telling you. Anyways. He's telling Butch to go down in the fifth in an upcoming boxing match. And this is when Vincent and Jules walk into the bar dressed in silly outfits. And this is our first, wait, what? Of the movie. And eventually is the key to the timeline situation that we all have to figure out while watching this. But later in the night, Vince is back in a suit with a badass bolo tie and goes buying drugs from the most relaxed drug <laughs> dealer ever who has some surprisingly good sales techniques. Vincent picks up Mia after she has a drink and she, he has a drink and she takes a bump, even though the dealer said Coke was dead. But before, then they go to Jack Rabbit Slim's, a 50s throwback restaurant, and the pair chain smoke while drinking $5 milkshakes. Mia denies anyone going out a window on her account and decides she wants to win a contest so they have an iconic dance scene. Back at Mia's place, Vince has one of those talks to yourself in the mirror moments that we've all had. While she, <laughs> snor she snorts Vincent's heroin and ODs, causing Vincent to go back to the dealer and stab Mia with an adrenaline shot. The magic is gone as Vince drops off Mia. They agree to never tell anyone about what happened and end the night telling a joke and Vincent blowing her a good night kiss. Uh, Andy, I want to start with you. The very start of this whole thing. Uh, we see the back of Marcellus Wallace's head and who we will learn is Marcellus Wallace. And there's a Band-Aid on the yeah. back of the neck. And I bring this up because something I love about this movie is that this world feels lived in. It doesn't feel like it was just made and put up to create a scene. There's a Band-Aid on the back of Marcellus Wallace's head. Now, what it came from, we don't know. But it shows that there's light. Like he has life, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I love that scene too. Like, just again, Tarantino just trying to be cool, and he is. But it's just the shot on Bruce Willis the whole time on Butch and Al Green. Let's stay together. Is just playing, and you just hear Ving Rhames's voice and or Marcellus's voice, and I don't know. I just I just love it. I'm just like, what a creative way to shoot that. And yeah, Jack the Band Aid. I have no idea. Do we know what the band? Do we ever get told what how that band aid happened? Not that I know of. No, I did some um, research on that band aid. <laughs> yeah, how uh, would you come up with? Yeah, well, it's two things. Uh, actually, Ving Rhames had cut himself shaving. Get out of here. <laughs> oh. He did in real life, 
and here and I am trying to Tarantino. make him out to be like this, like, oh, it's a lived-in world. No, he just cut no, himself shaving. Yeah, he cut himself shaving, <laughs> it's, but it's Tarantino great, was like, it's great. Let's keep this Band-Aid on because it gives level to your character. But there's a lot of, um, you know, if you go into like Reddit chats and all that kind of stuff, there's also... Um, there's a belief that maybe in the briefcase would be Marcellus's soul. People mm -hmm. are assuming that might be the case. I don't know if you guys have read that anywhere. So I, I'm assuming the soul has escaped the back of his head. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's what some possible. people are saying. That's what people are saying, folks. I, I saw that. Uh, I saw that theory as well. And that's why the combination 666. I don't know. Seems a little far fetched to me. But of course. It's fun. It's, it's fun, fun. Yeah. And you know who else is fun is that character name is Paul in the movie, but he says, he says, my name's Paul. And this is between y'all. Remember that part? <laughs> yeah. But it was just like such, such a stupid line, but I, I remembered it, you know, like, I'm like, Oh, good for that guy. He got a, he got a nice solid line in there. But yeah. um, yeah, after that, and when they go to the Jackrabbit Slims, I, I just want to go there. I want to go to Jackrabbit Slims. It just looks so fun. Just like, Steve Buscemi is Buddy Holly. They got Marilyn Monroe around, running around. Is it that Richard Nixon, the guy that was on the mic? Was that Richard that Nixon? Ed, Ed Sullivan. Oh, okay. I think. That, I, get, I, get I was actually confused. watching that wondering, like, how did no one say, let's actually turn this into a place? That's true. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you. there's been some tries at it, like some people, uh, 50s diner or whatever. But that one, they just you sit in a car. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, before we get to that part, I, I want to kind of circle back though. And, and James, I want to talk to you about, we had talked about foreshadowing, things like that. Butch and, uh, Vincent have some quick tension at the bar as well. Just kind of going to your whole point about foreshadowing. Now we don't want to go to what that's foreshadowing just yet, but just, I guess I'm calling out another example of what you had mentioned that some of this stuff does pay off down the line. Yeah, it does. And I mean, the big thing, too, is because of the time jumps, you won't really know this until after you've seen it maybe a few times and you're thinking about it. But at this point, Vincent and Jules, they've gone through everything through what we see at the end of the film. So, you know, having to clean their car, having to deal with this and that, dealing with a robbery. So at this point of day, Vincent is done. Obviously, this will be before mm -hmm. the date with Mia, but he's had a long day. And of course, he's talked to Jules. Jules is, you know, wants to leave the business after, you know, they had this divine intervention brush, which we'll talk about later. So when he sees, okay, the thing about this is these are all kind of low level criminal activity. But as we see in the movie, there is a code you live by as a criminal. You know, mm -hmm. there's certain codes you have to do. Um, and when he meets Butch, he knows Butch is there meeting with the boss and it's obvious Butch is there to throw a fight. That's what Marcellus mm -hmm. sets up. You're going to throw this fight. You're going to go down in the fifth. You know, I believe that's the line. And Vincent doesn't have any respect for this dude. He's looking at him as a has-been, um, uh, yeah, he calls boxer. Him, calls him like punchy, punchy. Yeah, he calls him, he calls him Palooka first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I had to look up Joe Paluca and I'd see what that meant. But like I said, it's not a it's not a compliment. And then he calls him punchy, which is obviously kind of a thing about someone that boxes too long or takes too many hits to the face, basically. So he's he's already egging this guy on who has lethal hands. But, you know, Vincent's not afraid of of anybody himself. But it is a a um, 
a tete-a-tete -tete, and I turned to my wife and I said, you know, this is a, this is a little uh, fun for some people. These two guys were in Look Who's Talking together. <laughs> Even though they never oh. shared the same screen. That's so funny. They I were stepfather and son. Uh, <laughs> you great. know, I like that you mentioned too that this was after the, basically this was after that morning that we haven't seen yet, so we'll get into, but it makes sense why Vincent is so crabby when he's in this scene and why he is so like, ready to pick a fight with this guy because he's just had a terrible morning which would put him in that situation uh i want to talk about callbacks in this movie as well uh something i liked i don't know if anyone else read, i don't know if this was a specific reference but uh i liked how when mia Wall uh, wallace was on the microphone at home it seemed like a little callback to the warriors movie when they had the dj talking on the microphone uh, it seemed very similar the way it was shot and the way it looked uh, i also i didn't really get the whole joke I'm going to go powder my nose when I was younger, realizing that, yeah, she's going to go do cocaine. That's what she means by powder That's a good nose. thing, Jack, that you did not know what that yeah. right. <laughs> This time around, it was funny. I was like, I hope none of oh, us yeah. okay. Uh, but um, I feel like this scene, everything we talked about, the the dancing at Jackrabbit Slims, the stabbing with the adrenaline needle, uh, to me, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe you guys can correct me, I feel like when most people think about this movie, this is kind of the bit that everyone remembers. The, like I said, the the dancing, the Odin, the adrenaline shot, Mia, uh, Vincent, all of them together. This to me feels like the real heart of the movie in a lot of ways. The Would you guys dancing, agree? I, and, and Andy, I'm, please jump in when you can. But you know, I remember watching it, and you know, Travolta's doing the thing with the this and that. I remember never. Everyone would copy that move, you know, yes, on yeah. dance floors, the, like to be silly, especially, you know, we're young kids and, you know, we're trying to be funny with our, mm -hmm. you know, a girl or friends or whatever. Yeah, just doing that. It's, it's an iconic scene. It's funny you mentioned that. That dance scene, probably more than anything growing up, is like always sticks in the head, the, the dancing scene. Yeah, even I think it's so yeah. synonymous with that song, too. The I think it's yeah. Chuck Berry, right? Yeah. It was a teenage wedding. Yeah. And a, like, oh, like oh, yeah. when you hear that song, you know, us, all of us, our DJs as well. Yeah. And uh, um, anytime that song has ever been requested in my life, I'm like, oh, they must uh, they must like Pulp Fiction because it's just yeah. it's just so <laughs> iconic with a lot. Of, I mean, a lot of music is in this movie. Which one is Jody? The one with all the shit in her face? No, that's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, sorry, we like glossed over that scene when yeah, you saw the drugs. And, <laughs> and that, that's that guy is such a salesman. He's like, you know, this one costs extra, but uh, you'll know what you're getting. And he's like, well, I'll buy like three bags, and if uh, I like it, I'll come back for two. And he's like, if there's any left, I'm giving you for my personal stash right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I was like, dude, this guy knows how to how to work the business. Good I, for him. I he love, is. I love. I think that's Eric Stoltz, right? So yeah, yeah his his character is so great. I don't. I don't really remember him as much because, like, you know, there's so many characters you kind of forget about the people that don't have quite as big of a role as as uh, Vincent Vega and Jules. Um, and Butch, uh, but he's so great. I I just love he's like eating a bowl of fruit brute, which I actually had to look <laughs> up, which is kind of like blueberry, Frankenberry. Fruit brute was like a discontinued cereal. So oh, it was like real. That. I was didn't know this cereal, was a yeah. made up cereal that, that yeah. he had made. Yeah, I I, that's I, what I thought. <laughs> I thought it was too, uh, like the red apple cigarettes and stuff. That and then uh, the thing I didn't catch ever before until this time was he mentions to Vincent Vega like I'm all out of balloons. Apparently. 
I'm not a heroin guy, but apparently they put that in a balloon. So he put it in a baggie. So I think that's why Mia Wallace saw the baggie and was like jackpot, um, you know. Thinking it was Coke, Coke yeah. or whatever, or yeah, below. And, and and again, when she does it and when she ODs, it's, it's so gross. Like she yeah. just, like she's got like that spit coming out and Vincent Vega just grabs like your face and all the spit comes on his hand. Uh, it's just like, I'm just like, as an actor, I'm just like, wow, you know, just, I was just eating. I was yeah. eating at that part. That's what threw me off. I was like, really? You know, I was just eating a meal. Yeah. Vincent has a rough go of it in this movie, uh, as you find out. <laughs> he does. Uh, but someone else. He's in that. the bathroom when she gets. The oh, yeah. Let's crew, talk about that. Yeah. Coming back. Every yeah, time the, he's in the bathroom. He's got to stop using scene, the bathroom. That dude's got comes some, diet, some, some dietary problems. I think. <laughs> he's been eating too much Chipotle or something because he he's he in the bathroom. Be, <laughs> you should give people a heads up, though. Be like, okay, so every time I go to the bathroom, seems like something crazy happens. Maybe uh, everyone, are we going to be cool? I'll be right back. Nothing <laughs> crazy happened. Well, uh, we're, we're going to give Vincent a break for a little bit as we talk about Butch. Uh, we start with a young Butch who is watching a wildly offensive-looking cartoon when Christopher yeah. walks in mm. and tells Butch all about the watch he shoved up his ass before giving <laughs> the poop watch to Butch. Back to present time, <laughs> which is a moving target in Pulp Fiction, and it's fight night. But Butch doesn't throw the fight like he agreed to. In fact, he literally kills the other guy. So Butch is in a cab getting the heck out of Dodge, speaking with a woman who I think is a vampire. But Butch admits he doesn't even feel bad for killing this dude. And in the phone booth, apply, implies that he bet money on himself and plans to head to Knoxville after he collects the winnings the following night. When he gets to his hotel room, though, his girlfriend doesn't seem all that interested in the fact that he was just in a boxing match and would rather talk about getting a pot belly. The next morning, Butch realizes his watch is missing and throws a conniption and decides he needs to go back to get his watch, but changes out of his shorts because he doesn't want to look like a dork when he runs into the gangsters and then screams in his car, as all of us do, before getting back to his apartment where he shoots Vincent on the toilet. While getting away, he sees Marcellus Wallace and runs him over, but the chase doesn't stop there. As they chase each other down into a pawn shop, a good-natured pawn shop owner stops the violence. <laughs> but Butch and Marcellus find themselves in a basement when the infamous line, bring out the gimp, is uttered and the absolute <laughs> worst scene to be watching with your parents starts. Oh, my God. Butch gets oh. away, but as... He, as he has a change of heart, he takes his sweet-ass time finding the proper weapon before settling on the same samurai sword that Frank Farmer used in The Bodyguard. It's a connected <laughs> universe, I promise. Butch saves Marcellus, and Marcellus says they're even before he steals. Z Butch steals Zed's chopper, rides off into the sunset. Uh, Andy, as our, uh, as our local gimp expert, I've realized... <laughs> that guilty as charged i have no understanding of gimp culture at all <laughs> uh that's so great yeah i mean uh, there's just so much to talk about here this man just i feel like the movie too so far what you've gotten you're kind of like you get the characters you know what's going on and then this really takes a detour i feel like you really in Butch's Butch's life, because we haven't really seen much with him, 
quite yet. And then the whole stuff, all the, the whole, stuff, the whole stuff, the whole stuff going <laughs> on. I mean, it's just I you, you did not see that coming. But yeah, uh, first Christopher Walken's monologue, absolutely brilliant. This that dude just I, I was saying to myself, I go, it looks like he's doing a Christopher Walken impression. Like it was just like <laughs> yeah. it was very, very I'm Christopher. I can't do it. And he's <laughs> nailing it. Oh, uh, he, he totally reminded me of Christopher Walken, which was yeah. good on him. But that story is so funny, too, because even in the dialogue, you're like, wow, this like very sentimental story. And then and the only way Christopher Walken can do straight face is he put it in his ass. And he put it in, in his my ass. ass. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's cool watch. Yeah. It was in, in his ass. It was in the dad's ass. I assume it was probably in Bruce Willis's ass later. Well, you bring up a good point if I can jump in. Something yeah. I liked about this watching it again is the whole point of what Christopher Walken is really saying. Now, we all get caught up on it being shoved up his ass, but <laughs> the real point of it is he says, like, yeah, your grandfather died because of, like, because of this watch. Your dad died with this watch. And then I'm realizing as I'm watching, that adds a lot of gravity to the fact that Butch is going back for the watch, the watch that so many people died in his bloodline for or with. It to me, it kind of made that whole thing tense. Like it's people died because of this watch. That's true, and and a, and, a, and a deeper thing because basically, when you know, when walking is, I wish I could do this stuff. You know, daddy's yeah. watch. Uh, Two mice fell yeah. down yeah. the bucket of cream. Down, you know, <laughs> uh, what what he talks about. And this is a great precursor, which I'm I'm almost certain none of us noticed before because I hadn't seen this movie in a very long time. Like I've never mm -hmm. I hadn't watched it all the way through in forever. Uh he talks about what I think him and his father, Bruce Willis's father, went through. And mm -hmm. you know, I hope if you're ever in a situation where you're with another man and you guys have to like go through an experience like what you guys are gonna share and how you're gonna have to get through it. Right. And yeah. you know, uh later on that happens with Marcellus. Um, and even on a deeper level, I was just doing some research because a lot of there's a lot of theories about this film. But and you know, in most films, the ones that resonate the most, it's not just like dialogue or character. It's about the themes in the film. So mm -hmm. in this film, is a lot about like choice and redemption. Like at least that's what I'm getting from it. You know, mm -hmm. so about these choices these people make as they're in these kind of low level criminal activity. You know, Bruce Willis once again, his character. Uh, uh, when Vincent Vega like makes fun of him, calling him Punchy and Palooka, he's basically going to throw a fight, which is like unheard of in sports. Like that's that's like a huge crime, like to like cheat the game in any sport to cheat the game. He willingly does that and also cheats the guy that he's supposed to cheat the game with. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, so he's going to then be put in a situation where he needs to have some sort of redemption. Um, and that watch is all about it because he, the watch, the watch, his father, his father and all them before, they were also soldiers. So what kind of stuff did they live for? They fought for like their country and for like honor and stuff like that, which he didn't do. You know, mm -hmm. he's doing it for money, you know, so and all this really comes back. And I even think, you know, there's a callback. I think with that samurai sword, you know, it makes you think of Kill Bill. Uh, Tarantino mm -hmm. was already thinking about Kill Bill already, even though they hadn't made the film yet. But, you know, you grab a samurai sword, you know, samurai and that culture is all about honor. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. especially when he's about to leave after Marcellus is getting, you know, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about those lines. Those lines yeah. are very iconic. You yes. Know, this soon to be rapist here. 
you know. <laughs> yes. I can't get the whole full line, but yeah. you know what I'm talking about. But it's very short and agonizing life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the rest of, the rest of his very short and agonizing life. Yeah. We're gonna go medieval on his ass. Oh, so <laughs> you know, I'm gonna call a couple of the boys, a couple of the homies, get some blow torches, you know. I mean, it's just iconic. But once again, before uh uh Butch leaves. He can leave this happening, but he knows once again, these are two men in a situation. What kind of situation you're going to do? How are you going to redeem yourself? You can't let this other man go out like that. Um, and he grabs a samurai sword, which speaks of honor. So I, I just think it's really beautiful. It's such a tightly told story. I, I got to go back uh, to what Jack said about that cab driver. I don't really oh. even remember her in, in watching this before, but yeah, she seems very bizarrely like Jack mentioned, like a vampire. She's <laughs> yeah. very, it's a very strange cab cab ride. Like she's like kind of turned on that he kind of. It's yeah. no kind of. It's very <laughs> erotic. She's exotic, yeah. by the way. I don't know where she. Oh, she's. I think she's Latina, right? She says Esmeralda, Spain. Esmeralda. Yeah. What cab driver? looks and sounds like this fellas. i mean <laughs> not any cab driver i've ever seen of course not it's <laughs> never like this and like i said she's literally turned on by bruce willis murdering someone uh, and how great how bruce willis is he in the cab uh, i don't know i guess i don't really care like just like <laughs> he he I, he's doing what joe kane was really trying to do in the program just that very yes. uh, smoldering you know of course soft voice just. And throwing his clothes out of the window. I don't know <laughs> yeah, if you guys right. caught that. He's just throwing littering the whole ride home. <laughs> Something that I want to bring up here, too, especially after the um, – this is just the dated movie, I guess, at this point, it being uh, now 26 years old. Uh, it was crazy how many people were smoking in this movie. And I realized that you don't see people smoke in movies anymore, particularly they were all smoking in restaurants, smoking inside. Uh, and it was very common, just like smoking the car and, and things like that where – I guess times have changed and that, that it just seemed weird every time you see them in a restaurant or something, just lighting mm -hmm. up a cigarette. And I'd be like, what are you doing? But just time's changing. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. One of the things I'm really loving about this and Tarantino movies are a little different because they are so stylish. But what I'm loving about us doing this show so far is seeing this transition of time. And like you look at the style and the way the movie looked and the way people acted in Lionheart from 1990 or in People Under the Stairs 91 or Bodyguard 92. And you start to like, you can really see this like evolution, which is what the show is about. So I think it's Whoa. kind of a cool thing. And everything's like, I think aside from the program, all the movies we've done so far, there's a lot of movies that were based in just Los Angeles. I don't, you don't see that as much because I think this, this movie is all in LA area the whole time. Yeah. It's pretty specifically LA. Like they call out a lot of like Ingle Inglewood gets called out about 20 times. Yeah. I think yeah. uh Travolta lives in um Redondo Redondo. Beach. <laughs> yeah, he said Redondo. I popped a little bit. I was like, Yeah, Redondo. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, yeah. I, care, but... I, I, I did want to mention one thing, one character that like I I I don't know, she's just so such an interesting choice was Butch's love interest. Uh like Jack mentioned, she talks about Bobby the pot, the pot. Yeah. Um, I, I did notice, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but so when he gets home, uh, she's brushing her teeth, he's getting out of the shower and I feel like Bruce Willis is really tempting everybody with, uh, his shower towel game. He's like yeah. washing himself and I'm like, is he waiting? Is there going to be a, 
Is there going to be a glimpse of little Brucey? Uh, just the way he was kind of maneuvering the towel. I'm like, dude, just put a towel on. Uh, he was um, actually, he was kind of like a ninja with that. Like the way it was, <laughs> it was pretty close many times. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. He just seemed like, I'm just, I don't know. When I get out of the shower, I just put a towel on, but he was doing a lot of, a lot of, a lot of towel. Well, games. he sat on the toilet at one yeah, point after getting that. out the shower. I, I was like, that defeats the purpose. Uh, I, just, it, you but, know. But what I wanted to say was when he's doing that, she's brushing her teeth and then he goes to bed. He wakes up out of a nightmare. She's still brushing her teeth. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, was, was did he fall asleep in like five minutes? But then it's the morning. So I'm just like, yeah. I guess she just really likes having her teeth some, brushed. I don't know. No. Some people after, brush after, their teeth. <laughs> after some, if, if you make out with Bruce Willis, you're going to spend all night brushing your teeth also. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm not done yet. I gotta, <laughs> it won't get clean. Uh, in any case, we get to the end of the movie. We get to the Bonnie situation, as it's called. Oh, and boy. During the apartment scene earlier in the movie, we find out that Seinfeld's stunt double was in the bathroom with a gun and is a terrible shot, unloading the gun, but missing every shot fired. Jules says it's a miracle and he's calling it quits. Vincent, in an attempt to talk Jules out of quitting, tries to get Marvin to tell Jules it wasn't an act of God and accidentally shoots Marvin in the face. They go to the guy with the best coffee on earth and he's not happy about them coming over there. So Jules calls Marcellus and Marcellus calls the wolf. He gets there in 10 minutes and assesses the situation. He gets the car cleaned and sprays the fellas down in the backyard and gets them new clothes and that explains why they look like a couple of dorks earlier in the movie. Drop off the car, drop off the body. They go to a diner to get breakfast. And while they're talking about filthy animals and acts of God, someone yells, everybody be cool. It's a robbery. Telling us we're back at the beginning of the whole thing. Pumpkin goes collecting wallets and he runs into a buzzsaw named Jules Bad Motherfucker Winfield. And Jules shows him the briefcase, which is full of, yeah, you know, Jules grabs Pumpkin's hand and puts a gun in Pumpkin's face and cools everyone down. Jules calmly explains that he can't give Pumpkin the briefcase, but will give him his money instead so that Jules doesn't have to kill Pumpkin. The movie ends. As Jules listens to a message from God and becomes a shepherd, Vincent doesn't listen and ends up dying for his efforts. Butch bets on himself and wins, and both Mia and Marcellus dabble in a little romance with other people, but never tell each other about it. (laughs) Romance. I don't think that's romance for Marcellus. Uh, So we wrap it all up, and uh, again, I I feel like we, we had a lot of similar thoughts throughout this about things paying off things mattering messages throughout the story uh james as we wrap it all up what were your thoughts about how this movie ended how it all came together and uh how these disjointed stories all came together at the end you know after watching all this whole movie again i must say the bonnie situation to me is my personal favorite because it first of all this is when we see jewels again which you know every scene him and vincent are in together they steal it Mm -hmm. And I think they really go hard on the themes in this film. I mean, obviously, it's all the comedic stuff. You know, we see Tarantino have a (laughs) his, um, uh, you know, Tarantino, his character in Toluca Lake, which is, you know, near my hood. So I like, you know, it's, you know, all these different places. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, he they're trying to clean up the body there, and that's when they get the man in black, the wolf there. Mm-hmm. And I remember he's like, "Don't fucking jewels me, uh, or don't fucking <laughs> Jimmy me jewels." You know, <laughs> I know it's, it's good fucking coffee. He yeah. sounds so whiny. <laughs> yeah, he does. You wanted to smack him, but it's perfect. Yeah. Like he's that's just how, like how he plays that character, which is so funny. You know, yeah. Jules is trying to like you know butter him up, like mm, Jimmy, this is great coffee. You know, <laughs> and this I, guy that we just saw quoting Ezekiel twenty five seventeen. Yeah, exactly. I I love too how all this madness is going on, and uh, Jimmy's the most worried about. My wife's gonna divorce me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get divorced. <laughs> you know, and I love how he completely changes when the wolf comes. He's yeah. talking shit to to Jules and. Yeah. Vincent, but when he's like, oh, no, thank you, Mr. Wolf, and yes, Mr. Wolf, how can I help? You know, he's just very nice to him and kind of meek. Um, But the wolf, the wolf is just, oh, my God, Harvey Keitel as the wolf. Wow. You could, if if Quentin Tarantino was this kind of person, he could franchise off a series or a movie or a trilogy about the wolf's background. If he wanted to. Big time. Like, like about where he came from, who he is, all that stuff. Like, there's so much so much onion to peel on that character shows up in there a tuxedo is. he's got a tuxedo <laughs> on and what does he say he says like it'll take 30 minutes i'll be there in 10 or something like that yeah, and then it says nine minutes 37 <laughs> yeah. seconds later <laughs> yeah <laughs> and cleaning all of that i mean i mean at one point i don't know if you guys noticed there was so much brain matter in jules you know hair <laughs> I mean, not as much. I mean, it was really in Jules' hair, <laughs> like for some reason. I mean, you seen like a like a. I, I always thought it was his ear, but it wasn't. It's like brain matter in his yeah. next to his ear. And and I remember one point he's like, "This is some pretty repugnant shit. I will never forgive you for this, Vincent." You yeah. know, yeah. and this is a precursor to Vincent just doesn't get it. You know, like he's he's not really learning any lessons from the day. It's just all kind of part of whatever. Um, because he's still not really grasping like how much of a mistake he's made or where things are heading and the whole point. Um, as you say, because I want to get to the end, the end at the um, the diner, obviously, is, I mean, it's so iconic uh, mm-hmm. because he's a hitman and he's so calm and cool under the pressure with these two kind of amateur, you know, robbers. And I mean, it's such a great, I mean, I, I mean, we could go into the depth of it, but it, that's mm-hmm. what makes it so fascinating that he's cool and calm and he takes control of the situation and he goes into all his philosophies about life and being a criminal and about making change and sparing people's lives and obviously the ezekiel uh uh bible verse yeah and i i think we kind of i think we're all maybe avoiding on purpose but we haven't really dissected into the gimp <laughs> no. He's like, I'm not like what Andy. I said you are the you gimp did, expert. The gimp so expert. <laughs> explain to me first off. Explain to me gimp culture. Well, I want to understand. Please, this guy living in a basement. This guy dressed in all leather on a hot day in Southern California. Uh, explain this to me. He's inside well, of a chest inside of a basement. Let's make yeah. that clear. Like he's I, in like a chest. I, I am very confused by this guy. Like, I don't know why I just have always accepted it. But since I knew it was coming, I was kind of like, okay, maybe there's some back. There's really no backstory. They just, and he, he doesn't really do anything. They chain him up and like just have him. I think he's making some noises. Um, and then Bruce Willis yeah. just punches him and that's it. He punches him once and Gimp's out. So Gimp's not very tough. 
<laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, but I it's... do. But I do love when when uh, Butch does escape, though. I, I think it's such a great idea because because you're root, rooting for him. Once he's about to leave, you're kind of like, oh, come on, go go help Marcellus. And when he comes back, I think it's so great how they like he goes from hammer and you're like, oh, yeah, go get him with the hammer. Then he grabs the bat. You're like, oh, yeah, hit him with the bat. And then it's, I think it's a chainsaw next. Yeah, you're like, chainsaw. oh, and then he looks up in this, like James had mentioned, the samurai sword. And you're just like, damn, that's good. And then you have uh, Marcellus sitting there thinking, man, after I get out of that landlord's mansion again, a gimp <laughs> is here just causing problems in my life. That's true. <laughs> just, I can't escape these people. And uh, <laughs> James, you mentioned some of the lines, though, but the Marcellus lines there, uh, you know, I'm pretty fucking far from OK. Yeah, you're going to get <laughs> nah. medieval on your ass. Like, Are you OK? <laughs> nah, <laughs> I'm pretty fucking far from OK. <laughs> it's like we're all figures like that is fucking true. Like that is so yeah. true. What he's yeah. saying, like you're feeling everything. He takes such time. And yeah, what, now? what now? What now? What <laughs> now? I'm going to call a couple of the boys, you know. Get the blow torches. I mean, I've already said it, but you know, yeah. I got it. it's so, <laughs> so good. It's so good. <laughs> and I noticed, um, I think I knew this before, but do you guys remember the mask with Jim Carrey at all? Yeah. Like uh, the, vaguely. The, vaguely. the main villain in that movie is the guy, yeah. is the, the, I guess he's a security officer, whatever he is, the one that he's going to get medieval on. Yeah. I actually say. remember this time around, I remember thinking he was a cop my whole life. And then I watched him and I was like, oh, he's just a security guard. <laughs> See, that's what I said. I turned <laughs> to my wife. I was like, oh, he's just a security guard. I thought he was a cop too. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so Zed, Zed's dead, baby. Who's Zed? Zed's dead, baby. Yeah. Dead. It's a chopper. It's a chopper, baby. baby. Yeah. Uh, by the way, and once again, every word of dialogue is cool. Nothing is just said in a normal way. Everything's cool. Uh, but let's wrap this up because we are uh, we're getting to the end here. My final thoughts, just something I think that is a good takeaway from this movie is that just about everyone really blew up after this movie. Everyone, like uh, uh, John Travolta's career was reinvigorated. That was the start of... Uh, the real start of a Samuel L. Jackson, Quentin Tarantino obviously took off. Uma Thurman had a big career after that. Bruce Willis kept on chugging along. Uh, everyone kind of blew up from this movie. Uh, but James, what were your thoughts? I guess overall final thoughts on this movie. I just have to go back to um, uh, the themes of this film about like choice and redemption and like kind of this low level crime stuff. Cause you know, when you watch this movie initially, you just, Oh, it's, just, it's a cool movie. It's cool. You know, it's cool dialogue and Tarantino's doing Tarantino things, but he's actually saying something. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I think the end of the Bonnie situation story is so powerful, especially at the diner. Cause there's so much comedy in it, but you know, it's about these choice and what happens. Samuel Jackson is going to walk the earth. Um, after, you know, avoiding death and Vincent Vega, he's just going to keep doing his thing and he will meet his demise by that way. Bruce Willis's character, Butch, has a chance to redeem himself as well, um, even though he was just living for money and trying to score, you know, when it comes to money and things like that. And he comes back and saves the bad guy and he doesn't have to live his life running at that point. He has like redeemed himself in some way of honor. Um, but overall, I will also say Pulp Fiction is just the thing you notice about after you watch any Tarantino film, this guy is a true cinephile and loves film in general. 
and he knows how to kind of milk a scene and can do it unlike anyone else. I'm sure there's plenty of people who try to imitate it, but no one can do it quite like him. And he can kind of make mundane conversations just fascinating to watch. Or mm-hmm. it's something as simple as someone putting Pop-Tarts in their toaster, yeah. you know, while they're escaping something and then see the, you know, the, I don't know what kind of gun, a Mac 10 or whatever on mm-hmm. the, on the, <laughs> in the kitchen counter and like, figure out what's he going to do next when the guy's in the bathroom. It's just great. He, he's just a great filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and Andy, this was uh, one of your favorite movies. So uh, I'd love to know your final thoughts. And also uh, if you could answer the two questions I have, what do you think is in the briefcase? And two mm-hmm. is the true ending chronologically when Butch drives off into the sunset. Yeah. I think when he gets in the motorcycle or the chopper, I think that, yeah. yeah, that's the ending. I wonder if they have it anywhere, like to watch it chronologically. I'm sure somebody's probably edited that together. But yeah. uh, my final thoughts, um, kind of like James was saying, just just characters. And you were saying like it kind of kickstarted a lot of people's career, or restarted, reignited their career. I mean, uh, Travolta was nominated for Best Actor. Samuel L. was nominated for Best Supporting. Uma Thurman was nominated for Best Supporting. Tarantino won for screenwriting, was nominated for director. I mean, he was, it, it was just all these superheroes all together and being an actor, like for me, I can't imagine like just getting to work with a guy like him early on in his career and getting those characters and just be like, hey, just let's do this. That's what it seemed like. It just seemed like, you know, very well-developed characters and like, that's all you want. Even the guy that was playing like the drug dealer or the uh, Rosanna Arquette with all the stuff in her face, like everybody was memorable. Even we talked about the cab driver. If you had any like small part, even Steve Buscemi was in there really quick as Buddy Holly. I just feel like everybody wanted to get a a part in that, I would imagine. And just character wise, it was just so fun. And I I do want to say my favorite dialogue is the end with Jules when he says, we're going to be three little Fonzies here. And what's Fonzie? She's like, cool. He's like, we're going to be cool. I don't know. Three little Fonzies. This makes me laugh so hard. It's such a great line. line. It's a great line. What was the other question, Jack? I'm sorry. I, I agreed with you oh, on that. And then uh, what's the uh, what's in the briefcase, in your oh, opinion? Well, I think it's got to be his Marcellus's soul, right? I mean, that seems the most plausible. I always <laughs> thought it was just like gold or something, but yeah, I don't know. That's. I always thought it was gold, too, because everyone's face lights up gold. But yeah. I'm thinking now that would be so heavy to carry around. That's true. Was, <laughs> it has one giant block of gold. Because Tim Roth says something like, um, "It's beautiful." I'm, I'm, yeah, 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 yeah. So he has like a, I don't know. It's kind of cool that we don't know. Yeah. Again, it feels like a lived-in world because it's not. It's it's just what's in there. It's it, the the case was before the movie. It's going to be after the movie. It's not about explaining what's in it. It's I don't know. It's it's a it's a lived-in world, as I say. Um, and speaking of Tim Roth, uh, I I'm ready for want me to do my baconism. Well, I was going to say they talked about whether or not they would eat pig. That leads mm-hmm. me to bacon. That leads me to Kevin Bacon. Let's talk about your ke- six degrees of Kevin Bacon. This one is is fairly easy, actually. So uh, we just talked about Tim Roth played the part of, of Pumpkin. Uh, so Tim Roth was in Reservoir Dogs, which was with Chris Penn. And Chris Penn was in Footloose with our boy, Kevin Bacon. Nice. There's like three movies that all lead to... To get, it's like Footloose and uh, Sleepers. Sleepers. <laughs> uh, but uh, well done. So that does it for this week. 
or this year, 1994. Next week, we do 1995, and we're doing the uh, the cult classic Empire Records. Yeah. Uh, but then for 1996, Andy, what do we got for 96? Uh, 96. I mean, I feel like that was like really when they were starting to do like some big like blockbuster type movies like Independence Day was 96. Um, so I kind of wanted to stay with that. I don't feel like we've we've done like a big special effectsy type movie yet. So I'm going to go with uh, Helen Hunt and Bill uh, Bill Paxton in Twister. Nice. That was a huge movie when it came out. And you're right. This is when big that'll be when big like special effects really started to come into the movies in a yeah. computer generated way so that'll be a lot of flying fun. cow the yeah. flying cow right and philip seymour hoffman's in there too so that'll be oh, a lot nice. of fun 1996 this has been uh this has been pulp fiction for 94 next week tune in uh go watch empire records and join us next week for 1995's empire records and also check out twister from 1996 we'll be doing that one in two weeks that does it for us uh james where can the world find you online and, and follow what you're doing yeah uh you can see me at j shippy number two on twitter and at j e shippy two on instagram and andy rossi uh, yeah, find me at just Andy Rossi uh, on all the socials. Yeah. And you can find me at Real Jack Farmer across all social media. If you could do us a favor and share the show with your friends, hit the like button. I know no one wants to hit the like button, but just hit the like button. Leave a five star review, all that good stuff. That does it for us. And until next time, we'll see you next year.